Good morning. Uh, it's a huge, wow, this thing's, this thing's tough. I'm going to have to be tall today. Uh, it's a huge privilege to be here. Uh, again, thank you so much for David for letting me come back. Uh, must have been okay the, uh, the first two times, so hopefully I can keep, the, keep it going. So um, my name is Ben. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, I work for an, or, an organization called Steiger, uh, as the slide would suggest. Uh, Steiger is a missions organization that was started by my parents back in the 80s. Uh, they felt a call. They're both from Minnesota, but they felt a call to go to Amsterdam to reach the punks and the anarchists. Uh, these were young people who were angry about the system and injustice, and particularly they saw Christianity as a oppressive tool and a tradition of the past. You know, they'd see these beautiful cathedrals that are all over Europe that are essentially museums today, and they were asking themselves, how can they possibly reach people who have such a negative idea of who God is? Uh, and long story short, they were led to start a Bible study on a boat. The original address of this boat was Pier 14. The word for Pier in Dutch is Steiger, and that is where the name of the ministry came from, Steiger 14. Eventually, the 14 was dropped. Uh, and here we are today. Steiger is a missions organization that is dedicated to reaching and discipling the global youth culture for Jesus. And we do this in many different ways, um, but primarily we establish city teams. And so these are teams comprised mostly of, of people from their own country, uh, in urban centers all over the world, uh, and they do ongoing evangelism and discipleship to the global youth culture. Uh, it's incredible all the, the things that God is doing all over the world through Steiger, and we're so blessed uh, to be used by him in this way. Uh, and as David mentioned, you are part of this. Uh, and when I share a video in a second here about the tour I just was on with No Longer Music and the thousands of people that heard about Jesus, you are a part of that in a real way. And so I am also uh, very grateful for your support and for having me come here and speak um, if you want more information on this ministry, we do have some books available. Um, I would recommend you start with my dad's book, uh, Rock Priest. Uh, this is kind of the biography of how the whole ministry started. Um, but one thing I want to bring up is I've written a book. Uh, it's coming out November 20th. Uh, it's called Jesus in the Secular World, Reaching a Culture in Crisis. Uh, this book started as a class that my brother and I teach all throughout the Twin Cities and, and actually the world. Uh, and it's as the title would suggest. How do we reach a culture in crisis. You know, not just certain people, not just uh, unique gifts, but everyone in the church, regardless of your context and your calling, how do we reach a culture in crisis for Jesus? And so I'm really excited that a uh, two-year process is coming to a close. Uh, and if David has me back, I'll, I'll bring some along with me um, for you to check that out. Another thing I want to mention is we started a new ministry here in the cities. I have felt this burden for many years that though God calls me away from America a lot, that the needs here are overwhelming, and I think you would agree. Um, so we started a new project, a new band called Teva, um, and it's, the first show is actually tonight at the Poor House. Our whole heart and vision is to go to secular places, to clubs, bars, and venues, to lift up the name of Jesus. But one thing I'm very excited about in terms of this vision is that we want to raise up a 100-person street team. Uh, and what this is, is we want to draw men and women from all over the Twin Cities that want to do something. You know, James says that we should not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And many people feel this burden, but don't know what to do. Well, we want to give you an opportunity to come with us, not as spectators, not as fans, but as ministry partners, that you would come once a month to these clubs, to these bars and venues, and you would pray with people. You would take a risk for the gospel. You would put your faith into action. 
There's many ways you can do this, and this is one way. And so if you're thinking, yes, this is something I want to do, come tonight. It's spontaneous, I know, but you could come tonight. It's rough. We're still developing our vision. But come, take a risk. Bring a non-Christian friend. Pray for someone. Be a part of this. If you want to know more, it's stagger.org slash Teva, or you can talk to Steve and I out in the booth, uh, at the booth. Finally, the last thing is if you resonate with what I say, if our voice connects with you, then I would recommend you check out our podcast. It's called Provoke and Inspire. It comes out once a week. It features myself, my dad, David Pierce, our European director, Luke Greenwood, uh, and the founder of Come and Live and former A&R guy for Tooth and Nail, Chad Johnson. And it's very basic. We just want to be faithful for Jesus in culture today. And that's what we talk about. We wrestle with current events. We wrestle with things that are going on in our culture. And we ask the question, how would Jesus have us live? So check that out. Even right now, if you get bored of my message, you can just pull up your phone and just search Provoke and Inspire on iTunes. It'll be right there. Uh, maybe just don't play it out loud while I'm talking. That would be weird. Um, like I said, I am part of Steiger, and one of the main ways is through No Longer Music, a unique band that goes all over the world, uses theater, art, fire, video, all to present Jesus in a relevant way outside of the church. And I just came back from my 12th consecutive summer tour with the band, and we saw God do incredible things. And I just want to show you this brief video, and uh, we can celebrate together the power of our God. You know that uh, TV interview that you saw me being interviewed on that was the biggest TV station in Albania? And uh, we were there during Ramadan, the Muslim holy month, uh, and we were invited to be on this talk show. It's like, imagine like the Jimmy Fallon of Albania. It's the, the most high level, very cynical. The host was very cynical, wouldn't let me get a word in. Um, I was determined to tell him why we were there, and so I just kind of basically cut in and, and shared who Jesus is. And over a million people in Albania got to hear the gospel. And that was before the tour even started. And uh, our local organizer was getting calls from pastors throughout the city saying how encouraged they were in a country that it's so difficult to be open about who Jesus is, that this, this example and, and this, this courage that it gave them that they could be bold too and just that their country could hear the truth. This is why we were created. You were not created to just be a slightly more moral person, you know, go to a, a nice social club on Sunday, live in our isolated ghettos. This is not why we are created. We are created to make a difference. And I wrote this book that's coming out to try to answer that question. How is it that we can make a difference? What is it that, that a church of millions of people so filled with so many resources and so much understanding. Why is it that we're not doing more? Why is it that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few? How is it that we can make a difference? Because time is running out, and we may think that things are okay. We can be in our insulated bubbles and watch football on Sunday and think everything is okay, and people are dying. People don't know the truth. So how can we make a difference? You know, and in reflecting on this, God led me to the story of Nehemiah, and you may be familiar with it. It's an incredible model for how to respond to a need. You see, Nehemiah was in a great position, right? He had everything. He was in a position of luxury. He had a high position and everything that came with it. But then he's confronted with a need. You see, he was living in isolation, but then he recognized, he was made aware of the fact that Israel was in ruins, that his people, his city was in disgrace, that the walls had fallen down. And it says that when he was confronted by this need, he sat down and wept. 
And I asked myself, when is the last time that I've wept? And I'm not talking about some personal tragedy. We all go through difficult times, and I'm sure this room is filled with moments that have caused us to weep, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a situation in the world, the brokenness of people, the destruction in the world. When is the last time that has caused you to weep? If I'm honest, I'm not sure if it ever has. When is the last time that we have allowed the needs of the world to break our hearts? It then said that Nehemiah responded not immediately in action, but by prayer. It said that he spent several months, according to experts, praying and fasting. And I talked about that the first time I came here, that if we do not understand where the power comes from, we will accomplish nothing. That our only hope in doing anything in the world today is through God's power, which comes when we pray. But what I want to focus on is that weeping. I want to focus on the motivation. If, if, if power is, comes through prayer, if the source of power is prayer, then why go? Why go at all? Because I read a Bible filled with people who suffered. I read a Bible filled with people who took a narrow road and it cost them everything. That's the Christianity that I think we're supposed to live out. And if that's the case, we have to ask ourselves, why do it? Because what I've experienced is that to follow Jesus always requires this type of risk and this type of sacrifice. When I first got married, I somehow got convinced my wife to come on tour for six years. Sometimes these tours would last up to six months long. There'd be 18 guys and she'd be one of only two girls. Hundreds of hours in the van, sleeping on basements and churches, being in dangerous, hostile places, preaching the gospel openly in Muslim countries. We encountered some pretty scary things. And I remember one time I was speaking to our, one of our Ukrainian leaders and uh, Ukraine had always been a safe place, but then there was a, a riot and a war that broke out in the east between pro-Russian separatists and Ukrainian government. There was this tug of war happening and a large part of the east of Ukraine was taken by Russia and the war still happens to this day. And so the place became a lot more volatile, but we were going to be going to the west of Ukraine, the safe part. But I was talking to our local partner, and, and he was telling me how he had been there just a week before we were supposed to go. And um, he said, yeah, it was the strangest thing. I was meeting with the church, and, <clears throat> you know, I left the meeting, and, and it was very quiet on the streets. In fact, no one was on the streets except riot police, and I was very confused. And I just sort of made my way back to the train station and went home. And he said he found out later that this extremist group had been driving up and down the streets, shooting at people. They blew up one of the main government buildings. They were attempting a coup, basically, in the city. And because of it, the city had canceled our concert. They said, this is way too risky. We can't have a big outdoor show in our city just a week after this happened. And he's telling, all me, all, telling me all of this one week before we're supposed to go there. And on top of all that, I was bringing my wife, and she was pregnant at the time. Nobody knew it. And I was feeling this incredible weight. Like, God, it was, so, it was one thing when I was single. To go to a place like this, to Albania or Turkey or Beirut, Lebanon, and preach the gospel. But I'm married now. You know, and on top of that, I'm, she's pregnant. This is too much. And I, I felt this overwhelming fear. God, why, am I, why are you sending me to a place like this? And I felt like God said, because they deserve to know the truth. Because my heart breaks for them. And the injustice that they're experiencing. And I felt a piece of God's heart. And it became so clear in that moment that the only reason... The only reason that we do anything at all 
is not out of religious duty or guilt, but a broken heart for the lost. If the source of power is prayer, then the motivation is God's broken heart. You know, there's a key text for us in Steiger in Luke 15, 1 through 7. I'm sure you're very familiar. It's the parable of the lost sheep. Let me just read that for us this morning. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And he, then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons that do not need to repent. If we are going to reach people, this church is going to reach Blaine like it is supposed to. We need this kind of heart. So what does it mean to have the heart of the good shepherd? Well, it means being willing to go to lost sheep places. I don't get it. How is it in the church that we still think outreach means inviting all the biggest Christian acts to our building and then inviting everybody in? That's not outreach. That's entertainment. Jesus wants us to go to people. And yes, there is a place for that, and and God does use that. I know even at this church, God uses the Easter services, and it's incredible. But let me tell you, a day is coming in our culture where people will no longer come to the church. Those are people who have a favorable, nominal view of God. But I'm telling you, that is a shrinking demographic, and we need to recognize this in the church. The predominant worldview now sees us as close-minded as bigoted, as anti-scientific, and they will not come to the church. So we need to be like Jesus and go to them. Go to their bars, their clubs, their venues, their places. We need to be like Jesus. And we need to do this at great personal cost and discomfort. I know what you're thinking. I'm busy. I got so many responsibilities. I got kids and soccer practice and so many things I'm involved in. All right. I'll devote an hour on Saturday. You know, I have a little time there. I'll go look for some lost sheep. Stick my head out my window and see if I can find a few running around. But what does the good shepherd do? It says, doesn't he leave the 99 and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? There was no time limit. It was total devotion to his task of finding the lost sheep. He went for broke. He left it all behind. He was going to go. And it would not have been fun to be in the open country. You know, we have this nice sort of kids' church view of what this was. It wasn't prancing around in the wilderness looking for this white fluffy sheep. This was a dangerous thing to do. This was risky to leave the flock, to leave the protection, to brave the elements, to look for this sheep. And if you considered the idea that this sheep didn't want to be found, this was a rebellious bad sheep. This sheep wore weird clothes. Probably had sheep tattoos. Listened to weird sheep music. It was a rebellious sheep. And even when he caught up to it, it probably was still running. You know, we think of this like white sheep caught in a bush. Like, like, help me. That's not what this was. He risked all of this for a sheep that did not even want to be found, that wandered away. He had 99 respectable good church sheep. 
who listened to only good church music. This was not the sheep. So what do you do when you find it? Well, you eat it, obviously. Right? Or you tie a rope around its neck to teach it a lesson. Drag it home. Teach it some discipline. What does the good shepherd do? Picks it up. Puts it on his shoulders. Carries it home. Throws a huge party. I mean, think about that. The sheep walks away on its own free will. Gets itself in trouble on its own free will. The good shepherd does all the work to carry it home. Isn't that your story? Isn't that my story? And yet, how do we act? How is our hearts towards lost sheep? You know, we build our communities. We build our private schools. We keep away from them. We insulate ourselves with our subculture. You know, we don't think of it that way, but that's what we're doing. We make it so that we just have our own people, our own place, our own brands, our own things. And thank God you'll never see me in a place like that. You'll never see me go to a place like that. You'll never see me in those places. Having the heart of the Good Shepherd means being willing to go to places and to people you're not necessarily attracted to or comfortable with. I remember the first time I went to Beirut, Lebanon, um, with a band, No Longer Music. We were invited to be uh, the judges of a heavy metal battle of the bands in a club called Sex God. So it was a very typical weekend, similar to what I would have here. Um, but one quick thing, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, that makes sense because No Longer Music is a metal band. No, we are not a metal band. I just need to get that out there. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know who's telling you that, but I just want you to say it in your heart. No Longer Music is not a metal band. Look up August Burns Red. That is a metal band. There is something between Amy Grant and August Burns Red, and we are not a metal band. All right. That was cathartic for me. I had to get that out. Um, so, Battle of the Bands, judges. This is an awful place, as the name would suggest. We get there at 2 p.m. It's hot because it's the middle of the Middle East. Duh. And the club is disgusting. I mean, it's really dirty. And we're there all day. And the bands are terrible. I mean, there can be good bands in that genre. They were not good bands. We were supposed to judge. I don't remember writing down scores, but I did judge. And... Uh, <laughs> zero. Um, by the time we got to play, it was 2 a.m., and I was tired, and I was crabby, and I wanted to get the heck out of there, and um, we went on to play, start to share who Jesus is, and we depict the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and I just remember my heart starting to change, and here we are. I mean, it dawned on me. We're in Beirut, Lebanon. Crowd, young, tough Lebanese metal guys, including an entire busload there to support their metal band from the Hezbollah part of town, which is a terrorist group that fights Israel, and apparently they have their own metal bands. And they were in the crowd there to support, the, support this band. They were actually pretty decent. Um, and I just remember thinking, man, this is amazing. We were able to share who Jesus is with these people, and I felt like God's heart, he was so happy Despite my bad attitude, despite my imperfections, I felt like God said, thank you for being willing to go to a place like this because if Jesus was in Beirut, Lebanon, he would have been there too. He would have known the club owners and the venues. If Jesus was here in Minneapolis, 
He might not know all the megachurches, but I promise you, he knows all the bars and all the clubs and all the prostitutes and all the notorious people because that's who Jesus spent his time with. You know, why is it that in the church we equate making a difference with being slightly cleaner than other people? Well, I don't go to R-rated movies. That's not making a difference. Yes, that's good, and you shouldn't do that. People need to see who Jesus is. They don't need our Facebook rants and our bumper stickers. They need to see God's heart, that it's not us against them, that they're not the enemy that we have to protect ourselves from. They're the ones that Jesus came and died for. You see, without God's heart, anything we try will just be cold and cliche. You know, we pick some topic that's on our mind. Oh, you know, well, let's, we pick abortion. You know, this is a horrible evil. Of course it is. And we write some Facebook posts and think we're making a difference. But have we cried about this situation? Have we tried to make a difference? Have we been there trying to be a solution, trying to be with these women that are either so confused or pushed into it or so deceived that they think this is their only option? Have we been with them and cried with them like Jesus would? Or have we just stood from a distance and made our judgment and wrote our Facebook posts and think we're making a difference? Our, our hearts have grown cold. We treat the lost like they're projects or something to fear, something to insulate ourselves and our families from. Shame on us. I need a piece of God's broken heart. Because I don't know if you're like me, but I wake up most mornings and I got some time for myself. I got some love for my family. And that's about it. It's about as far as my heart goes. And God would want to break your heart. God would want to give you a piece of his heart so that when you move into this new building, you won't just be another church. Because we don't need just another church. We need people whose hearts are broken, who are so desperate to reach the lost, who have a piece of God's heart. So how do I get it? Well, you can't earn it. You can't try. Right? It's not like a workout plan. Starting tomorrow, I'm going to love people better. It doesn't work like that, obviously. But we can repent. We can repent and we can say, God, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I don't care like I should. I don't love like I should. And then we can act. You know, there's this little cliche, see, feel, do. Part of our problem is we're isolated. We need to start seeing the world, getting out of our comfort zones, disrupting our schedules a little bit. And then asking God to give his heart God, when I'm in these places, let me, let me feel what you feel. When I'm in a restaurant, don't let me just think about the food I'm eating. Let me feel what you feel. I think about my two-year-old son. And I think about every person, that these are God's children, and that how much would it break my heart if my son was lost and hurting and broken and confused? How much I would cry over that. How much I would pour my life out to change it. This is how God feels about everyone that you encounter everyone you walk by, we need to see, we need to feel, and then we need to do something. Take a risk. Because time is short. Harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. But what I've experienced is that if you repent and if you're sincere, God will give you just a glimpse of his heart and it will wreck you. It will wreck you. I was, um, Steve and I, he's back there from our team, we were playing in a Prison in Poland, and I love playing in prisons. You want to feel God's heart, do some ministry in a prison. And um, 
First time we played, it rained, and so we had to play inside, and we couldn't play for very many people. But the second time we came back, the weather was great. And so they set up this big stage for us, and the, the prison chaplain, he tried to get us to think correctly, get our expectations right. And he said, you know, don't really expect the, the, the prisoners to be into it. You know, they'll act real distant and cold, and they'll act too cool. You know, don't, don't worry about that. And we're like, eh, whatever. So um, we set up and we started to play and like 500 of these prisoners like ran to the front of the stage and they were like clapping and cheering and it was really weird. Um, minus like the barb t- barbed wire and the sniper rifles, it was like any other concert that we do. Um, and uh, David started to share, my daddy started to share that God is a good father. So many of these guys, they didn't have fathers. And if they did, they were alcoholic fathers, abusive fathers. And he jumped off the stage right into the middle of all these men and he said, you know, God loves you and he wants to set you free. And he pointed to one of the biggest, toughest looking guys with this big tattoo on the side of his face and he said, God loves you. Pointed right at him and you could just see him holding back the tears. I have never felt God's love more powerfully in that prison than anywhere. I've never felt it as powerful as that day in any church, in any place. I could feel God's love. It was like a grenade went off. It was like a weight, like a physical weight. You could feel God's love for these men. And my dad said, you know, I know there's rules in prison and hierarchies and you can't just do whatever you want, but I don't care about the rules. If you want to know the Jesus I'm talking about, you raise your hand in front of all these other inmates. And over 60 of these men raised their hands. And in the subsequent years, we told a revival broke out in this prison. God wants to give you his heart. God wants to use you to change the world. But it's not going to happen because of our methodology, and it's not going to happen if we don't allow God to change our hearts. But the good news is, if we ask, it's a dangerous prayer because he'll answer it. And then maybe he'll use us to make a difference. Let's pray. Lord, I I thank you, Father, that though we are unworthy, though we fail and have to continue to get back up, Lord, you, you do answer the prayer, give me a piece of your heart. God, you answer that prayer. You do, Jesus. And I'm so grateful for that, Father. And Lord, I, I, I feel your anointing on this church. I feel your hand in this place. But God, the enemy does not want it. The enemy wants to turn this church into a professional, mechanical church that just goes through the motions and makes no difference. Don't let it happen, Lord. Give them soft hearts. Give them soft hearts. Give them a heart for the world, their neighbors, Lord, for the city, for this whole state, Lord Jesus. Give them hearts that would feel what you feel. And for where we've gotten off track, we repent. I repent. Give me your heart again. Give me your heart for the place I'm going to be tonight, Lord. Let, there, let, it, let it produce great fruit. Lord, I pray that for everyone here in your powerful name. Amen.